0: Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin, and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today.
1: Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. Uh, my job here as host is to find the geniuses in their various fields. I've interviewed over 2,000 scientists, researchers, clinicians, um, and product people. And uh, today I have a great guest, Guillermo Cechi. He's an IBM Research staff member uh, dealing with computational neuroscience. So Guillermo, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
2: No, very good. Not so cold.
1: Oh, well, not so cold. Where are you?
2: I'm um, in York, but it's been, today it was like 50, which is incredible for February.
1: Yeah, one time and recently a few years ago I was in New York on uh, Christmas Eve it got up to like 69 which was
2: yeah, crazy that, at night. that happens, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, well enjoy it while you can. So uh, <laughs> very good. Well, Guillermo, tell me about your, your work. It spans uh, a lot of areas. What are you researching right now?
2: Um, so I I managed a group that um, we call Computational Psychiatry and Neuroimaging. Um, so I did primarily with uh, um, data of from uh, uh, mental health uh, patients. And what we're trying to do is, is uh, formalize uh, metrics to monitor progression and, 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 and prognosis of uh, different mental health conditions using uh, data uh, that Uh, all the data we can have access to, but uh, so far the main focus uh, for us is um, speech uh, and a little bit now of uh, uh, video uh, data. And the neuroimaging part is self-explanatory. It's using uh, uh, imaging uh, in in humans, so that is magnetic resonance, so functional and structural. Uh, And that's the main... um, Mission of uh, our group. Uh, as a secondary mission, I also have a, a connection with uh, artificial intelligence uh, researchers here in the lab. And uh, what we're trying to do is uh, both trying to understand how we can model uh, certain uh, mental health conditions using AI techniques, but also, uh, it's a bit more ambitious, uh, try to uh, bring ideas from what we know about the brain in order to create more interesting uh, uh, AI models. All right. But that's so, uh, again, it's, it's almost, uh, uh, like I said, the secondary uh, mission that, that we have because uh, just dealing with uh, problems related to mental health uh, keeps our hands uh, more than full.
1: So you're trying to model uh, mental illness with uh with AI, or what are you trying to model specifically? Like
2: what kind of conditions? Uh, we are looking at uh, pretty much all the major uh, conditions that uh, affect uh, the population right? from uh, psychosis and schizophrenia, mania to uh, depression, anxiety, uh, drug addiction, and then all of the neurodegenerative disorders, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, among among others, so we are trying to model uh, uh, the uh, the symptoms uh, and, and and measure the symptoms uh, in in a sort of analytic algorithmic way, and from a more abstract point of view is you know can we understand the behavior of a patient, for instance with addiction with uh, a certain artificial intelligence models that will mimic the behavior and see if uh, we can use that to uh, model in particular behavior, or understand uh, if there are uh, particular patterns that might be predictive, just from modeling point of view. Right? But that again, that's sort of the the, the other uh, side of the same coin.
1: Well, okay. So what uh, I mean, have you had any success with the modeling, and what what are you seeing? Yeah.
2: So um, you know, I can uh, uh, point to perhaps it's the the example that I like the best, and and, uh, this is uh, a success that we had in uh, predicting outcomes in psychosis. Specifically, uh, uh, we've been uh, working with colleagues uh, who study what's called clinical high risk for psychosis, and this is a population that is typically adolescents uh, who have a subthreshold symptoms of psychosis. They uh, did not have a full-blown uh, psychotic outbreak yet, but given of, of, of these subthreshold symptoms, uh, there is a high risk that they will have such a first ex- uh, 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 episode. So what we did uh, was to take um, baseline interviews, uh, interviews in the clinic, where they, uh, in an open-ended way, they, they talk about the problems. And uh, these, these uh, uh, patients or, or subjects, they are followed for uh, two, two years, uh, and then a number of them really have a, a full-blown, very dramatic psychotic outbreak. So our, our task was to see if it's possible to predict uh, who will be uh, convert, who will we have a first episode. So that you can target uh, treatment, you can have a specific interventions uh to those, and the way we did it, I think it's a it's a very good representation of how we go about uh, doing things uh you know talking to psychiatrists, we try to understand what are the main features that they use to characterize this population, both the ones that are sub threshold and 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 those who uh, regrettably uh, Become uh, uh, chronic uh, schizophrenic or, or manic patients, okay. and we identified uh, a couple of very prominent features that uh, we thought uh, would lend themselves to modeling. And um, yeah,
1: one, what are some examples? What what features?
2: Right. So the, the uh, <laughs> one feature is what they call flight of ideas, in a way that that the, is is self-explanatory. So. Uh, uh, these These patients tend to uh uh, uh flight off the handle in the sense that they are talking about something and they switch to something completely unrelated. uh sometimes this is also called derailment right the the train of thought uh is not a you know a, a a nice and linear rail right so they jump around uh when they are speaking that's again called flight of ideas derailment. Oh, so they have like
1: uh, it'll be a series of non sequiturs.
2: They'll
1: just exactly, jump you, right? exactly,
2: exactly. Um, uh, how
1: fast does that happen? By the way, and I mean,
2: okay, you know, you I'll, I'll, I'll give you, right, I'll give you the uh, more details. Um, so okay. the other feature, there are the prominent feature that we identified uh, from the ones that are known, but really very prominent is what they call poverty of speech. So the, the speech of, of uh, these patients tend to be impoverished, right? So it doesn't have deep structure. Uh, it doesn't have uh, 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 you know, fluency. So the, we thought that th- these two could be analyzed using uh, NLP approach, natural language processing. So regarding the first one, the flight of ideas, and, and going back to your question, Uh, what we did was to uh, look at the semantic continuity between consecutive phrases, right? So at that level of granularity, even between consecutive phrases. So uh, from an NLP approach, what we did was to uh, use ideas of semantic embedding where you can take uh, uh, the, the, the meaning of a word or of a sentence and compare it relative to another one, right? So this is idea that is being used uh, in, our, in our phones to define whether you know, we prefer uh, Nike or Adidas or whatever. Um, so uh, we found that uh, uh, a strong signal in the sense that uh, over the course of an interview, uh, the patients who will later have a first episode at some point uh, have a very significant break in the contiguity of the content of what they're saying right? between consecutive phrases.
1: So they, like without without prompting someone that has
2: to exactly. talk to them and they'll just they'll
1: just start going off into like they'll talk it, about a baseball game and they'll talk about the exactly. weather and they'll talk all kinds of
2: stuff. Well yes, yes and no, because in the and this is part it's interesting part of the story because in the first study that we did, this was completely open ended. So these patients were asked to talk about themselves and going on and on as 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 long as they could, right? So in that case, it was really, you know, very generic prompt once, and and then it was sort of close to, uh, uh, uh tra- you know, free speech. Um, we also well, what found about uh, what about
1: asking asking someone to teach you something or describe something very specific? Yes, okay. And then seeing if that caused them to go off more. Yes,
2: I'll I'll come to that. So okay. we also found as you would expect a very strong signal in terms of poverty of speech and and that you do with very you know techniques in NLP that have been around for decades just you you can take the the syntactic structure of the of the sentences and and understand you know measure the complexity right so we found that those who would like to convert have have diminished a uh, complexity for the from a this structure point of view now Going back to your question, uh, we did a follow-up study uh, uh, comparing the first one uh, with data from a very similar uh, cohort of you know this clinical high-risk uh, uh, youth, but with a very different uh, uh, protocol in precisely the one that you described. So uh, they are given uh, uh, a story to read, and then they had to retell the story, and the interviewer Probes them, and and probes them. Sorry, probes them to see what is the understood, how much they understood uh, from that story. Even in but, that case, we found the same thing, right? So uh, the the this continuity in in meaning is also present there. Uh, the uh, impoverishment, the, the impoverished speech, is also there. So you know, for us, what was uh, successful was. Not only that in each case individually, we could find very strong predictors for conversion later, but also that we could map one study to another. We could learn in one study and apply it to the other, even though there is something that we are missing. And that is, unfortunately, and this is, you know, fortunately because we are working on it, we didn't include any modeling of the interaction per se. Right, so that's something that we are doing right now, uh, modeling dialogue. So uh, we treat the speech production from the patient uh, as sort of an independent source, which is not, uh, but uh, at least in in this case, perhaps this condition is so severe that uh, doesn't really matter too much how you probe them. You have enough information in, in their speech to predict uh, the outcomes, you know, within this, like I said, two-year uh, uh, frame. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, the the case that I, I I like the most because it's, uh, it's not only uh, other things that we are doing is is to see see to what extent using speech we can match diagnosis. That but what, like what
1: a, factors would would confound this? Like, what if the person's in a in a highly emotional agitated state or you know if you ask him just about to talk about themselves but they've yes. had a horrible week you know maybe they'll talk about themselves in a disjointed or incoherent way because of that maybe that confounds the speech
2: there, there are yes there are uh, uh and that's something that we are working on there are probably you know several possible confounders you know one is educational level right so uh, uh speech is very sensitive to that uh uh content and and structure uh prosody to some extent you know prosody also reveals uh to some extent uh, uh, your socioeconomic uh, background right your accent uh uh, it's you know carries some information about where you grew up like in my case (laughs) um uh so that's that's a confounder um you know gender of course is another possible confounder that you know we try to incorporate in in our studies. Now, in in answer to uh, your question, uh, we know that, yes, in some cases, uh, these confounding factors can be very uh, significant, uh, but uh, we also have studies in which uh, we are able to deal with that if we can follow A particular uh, individual over time so uh, and uh, in that case uh, let me mention a couple of studies one that came out actually last week and where we uh uh, identify uh speech markers of the effects of uh, some psychoactive drugs like an oxytocin and uh because you know we know that those modulate uh, the way we process emotion, right? So, uh, uh, in particular, oxytocin is is something that that uh, um, mothers produce when they are breastfeeding, right? So, it, and ecstasy also has this very strong uh, effect on emotional processing. Uh, but the way, and, and and as precisely the example that you mentioned, if we had target how you're expressing emotions in speech, that may be very dependent on. Uh, many factors, but uh, in those studies, what we show is that if we have samples of speech uh, at baseline, then we can determine whether someone has ingested ecstasy or oxytocin, and even to some extent at uh, what uh, doses, uh, because we have a baseline. Without having the baseline, yes, things uh, in some cases might be very difficult, uh, but some of the ideas that we are trying to develop are predicated on the possibility of, of uh, applying this to uh, clinical trials where you can track uh, a patient and see what effect the treatment uh, is uh, producing on them, right? In that case, we solved some of the problems related to all the other things that might be affecting, and we know are affecting speech in particular.
1: Okay. What, what are some of the treatments and what uh, so you want to, you want to figure out, okay, now the person is speaking more coherently, you know, they're 10% less flighty and right. their level of speech, you know, their poverty of speech has decreased by, you know, 15%. And that would be good markers to indicate possibly with your model that the treatment's working.
2: That's right. So that's exactly right. Uh, um, so I can point to um, uh, a okay. A couple of uh, uh, examples. One is uh, um, something that we've been working on for some time now uh, with the foundation that um, supports research in uh, ALS, you know, the Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, what we do with them is that uh, uh, we take data that is collected from the smartphone of, uh, of these patients. They uh, record a uh, voice uh, on a weekly basis. And uh, with that, what we can see is that uh, we can track uh, the progression, uh, the deterioration. Unfortunately, there is no treatment so far for ALS, but we, didn't, we can identify whether someone is uh, is uh, deteriorating uh, slowly or, or faster, and we can have an approximation to the clinical measures that uh, uh, it would take. You know the patient going to the hospital to to uh, evaluate. Uh, we can do this if just with a couple of minutes of speech, and uh, and those are essentially motor uh, aspects of their behavior, which are obviously immediately expressed in in uh, acoustic information, but also uh, even some cognitive aspects, cognitive aspects, sorry, uh, that are affected uh, by by ALS. So. Uh, that's a concrete, um, ongoing uh, case in, in which we can monitor patients. In this case, there's no treatment, unfortunately. Um, we have... Oh, oh, what's what's a, an
1: example of which, you know, unfortunately, I know it's probably not nice, but <clears throat> have you listened? Have you heard the deterioration? And what does it sound like? You know, anything that jumps out at you that you uh, said, oh, wow, well, I did hear it? You know?
2: Yeah, we... Uh, in principle, we... Uh, uh, that's you know it's it's an it's an important topic because uh in general we don't uh listen to uh the audio files uh we we do some uh, um development with uh, uh uh mock data but then we just run the algorithms and extract features but we can i can tell you what the features are so in the case of als yeah what happens is that um Prosody is directly affected. Uh, uh, the process between words changes. Uh, they become, uh, uh, in some cases, um, very stereotypical, or they become uh, much less normal, right? Less Gaussian than in a, a control person. But also. You mean it's like
1: uh, do people have like robotic speech where they right, talk like right, this? Right.
2: Or, 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 or. The other extreme is they might have very long pauses between between words, which is also you know trivially understandable. But also the the space between phonemes in words is affected. And then on on the uh, sort of uh, high frequency side of it, you start to see a lot of uh, of noise, right? And and if you do a, a sonogram in a normal voice, you see these very straight lines. In this case, you start to see you know, just fussy because it's difficult to, con- to con- control the tension of the muscles, right? So uh, I, I, that's what is, you know, so powerful about voice is because it's representing pure motor aspects, also cognitive, as- cognitive aspects. And like I said, with ALS, we can also see uh, how uh, the impairment has, begins to show an effect in, in, in cognition. Um, so yeah, that's uh, an approximation of all the kind of things that that we can do just with voice.
1: It huh. makes sense, yeah. Well, I know people have analyzed the stress
2: in their voice, and you know, right. All kinds of things, so, it and it's more than analyzed. Like, we all, you know, I, we all know that. So, I, as I tell everyone, I, my mom, my mom is in Argentina, so I call her every morning, and the way she says hi, I already know state of mind right <laughs> yeah, my like, wife says the same thing yes right, exactly yeah. you know it takes just one second and you know so much already yep that's funny what about uh detecting
1: the underlying emotions i'm sure there's yes. plenty of people trying to analyze that does that tie into your work
2: it, it does it does uh, uh, we do yeah so in the industry it's called uh, uh sentiment analysis. Uh, The way we deal about it in in particular, given that we try to focus on mental health, is uh, uh, to uh, use uh, clinical markers. Uh, For instance, we have work uh, uh, relating uh, uh, speech features to uh, uh, clinical uh, metrics of depression, but also precisely in the uh, experiments that I mentioned before with Uh, ecstasy and oxytocin, because we know that uh, there is a a, a strong effect in how people express emotions after they take ecstasy or oxytocin, Uh, we also use the markers that allow us to differentiate uh, the same person uh, under uh, no drug and drug as features that we can reuse in other studies in particular, to understand uh, to what extent a certain emotion is expressed. And moreover, and and I think this is interesting even uh, beyond mental health because uh, there are not that many models just in in, in general and I connecting uh, specific aspects of prosody with content, right? So the way uh, I would say I love it, or I love it, or oh, I love it. Right? I say the exact same thing in three different ways, and uh, that conveys a lot of information. And uh, and this connection between what is said formally and how it's said uh, is very important in mental health, but it's also it's important in the way we uh, 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 interact with each other. We express our our uh, feelings and, and our, our thoughts through speech, right? So, uh, is, that
1: a, is that another marker of people that have mental problems? That it, maybe, yes, like, it, it they is. Saying things in strange ways with strange intonation. Yes,
2: yes. Uh, uh, you know something that is uh, is very common, in particular in, in uh, for instance, in schizophrenia, is what's called flatness of effect. So, uh, you might be saying you know something. With uh, formally emotional content, but in a in a completely flat uh, way, from a point of view of, of prosody, and that it's yeah, that's a marker uh, of something that is not uh, working very well, or or that might be the case when you talk about yourself or when you talk about other people, uh, and so uh, we are studying uh, what's called borderline personality disorder that uh, uh, precisely this distinction between how how good you feel about yourself and other people can change very dramatically and both in terms of what you are saying and how you're saying it but but yes so the short answer to your question is uh yes that's a, a very uh strong marker of uh, certain mental health conditions but it's also it's very important in just normal speech right it's how we regulate that is uh, is extremely important for communication in general oh, okay very
1: interesting <clears throat> um so uh, to go back to the beginning you're attempting to model this so that what people can do early intervention on people that appear to have mental issues or what's the uh the end goal yeah
2: early intervention it's uh is very important um, and and you know is predicting predicting outcomes is uh, Quite uh, uh, difficult and it's very challenging, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm particularly proud of uh, these studies that we did, which are small. So we need to do more, but uh, it's a good direction. Um, the other um, uh, obvious application, uh, is almost trivial, is uh, uh, and we can use the example I, I that I gave for ALS. Um, you know, these patients who have uh, have been diagnosed with ALS. Uh, how often do they see a neurologist? Well, uh, once a month, if they're very lucky, every two, every three months. Uh, with this, imperfect as it might be, we have a way of uh, accessing the state of of the patient, right? Uh, so on a weekly basis, we can do it on a, on a daily basis and have a, 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 an inkling of, where they are, you know, are they, like I said, are they progressing, are they declining faster or slower, maybe are they improving? In the case of a clinical trial for a treatment, can we see immediately uh, that there is an effect? Can we identify whether it's it's better for them uh, to take a drug uh, in the morning or in the afternoon if we can measure uh, the effects on their voice? So that's the other uh, uh, very clear an immediate application of of uh, what you can do uh, uh, with, with voice in, in particular, you know, behavior in general, but uh, uh, you know, we are also a part of some studies where you see sensors, we some accelerometer data, but uh, the richness of what you can get uh, with speech is, is not comparable.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I mean, how far along are you in making the model? Is it starting to work pretty well, or is it still like in very early stages?
2: Uh, well, it, you know, it's, it's not ready to, um, to go to the FDA. Uh, I mean, there are, uh, uh, different, uh, we have different projects and, and in some cases, the goal is to bring this to the FDA, but, uh, we've, well, we, uh, you know,
1: what the challenge that comes to mind is, could you make this independent of the language being
2: spoken? Um.
1: That would be
2: cool. Yes. So, again, we have partial answers to that. Um, for the case of uh, uh, dif- uh, dif- what's called differential diagnosis of psychosis, so can we identify whether uh, someone has is, is uh, uh, psychotic as manic or is psychotic as schizophrenic? And that was one of the first studies that we did a few years back and actually, uh, the first study that we did was with colleagues in Brazil. We did in Portuguese. And so we have replicated that in uh, many, m- most of the major Indo European languages, right? In English and in German and in Spanish. Uh, and we have done sim- something very similar uh, for Parkinson's, uh, again, with several languages. Uh, we have not done this uh, yet with uh, Mandarin or Cantonese. Uh, Hopefully, we're going to get data soon. Uh, but that is relatively easy in the sense that someone with uh, we develop schizophrenia, for instance, uh, can be very severely affected. So, you know, it, it, we don't think that it's a, a, a great fit. But the more uh, subtle aspects of it, uh, like I said, can you uh, uh, train a model to detect that someone has ingested? oxytocin in New York and apply to uh, someone who did the same thing in Beijing. Well, that, you know, remains to be seen, but, um, you know, I think that it's possible. It's possible. We need perhaps more data and certainly more time. Uh, but, um, you know, like I said, we have uh, a few ongoing clinical trials. So uh, we just disclosed, uh, a collaboration, uh, with the device maker, uh, that it's uh, uh, using our technology in a trial for uh, chronic pain, uh, using uh, stimulation of the spinal spinal cord to um, to mask chronic pain signals, and we are using among other things voice to track uh, uh, the state of the patients. So, I mean, this is you know, it's, it's taking shape as we speak. Of course, we need uh, more more data. It's, it's ironic that, uh, you know, even now, I have almost as much brain imaging data as I have speech data in my servers, uh, even though, you know, it's probably a thousand times or more uh, uh, more expensive, you know, to acquire, uh, you know, 15 minutes of uh, brain imaging than 15 minutes of speech. Uh, but uh, the limitations here is that, You know, we are dealing with uh, personal and identifiable data, so we are extremely careful uh, with that, right? So uh, this is something that we take very, very seriously, and and that, in a way, limits uh, what we can do because, you know, the the amount of data that we have, it's limited with respect to what it could be, uh, but that's, you know, it's unavoidable. That's what we have to do.
1: Gotcha. So do you have real people... um that you're going to be getting this uh, the speech from or are you having to use uh, made up models of it? Like, can you get real data or is it a privacy problem?
2: No, uh, I mean, uh, the privacy, what I, ma- I mentioned, the privacy problem is that, you know, we, we we should have, or we could have much more data, but uh, because of all the constraints that, that are imposed and we, you know, we comply with, uh, uh, you know, We have a relatively limited amount of actual real uh, data uh, uh, to work and to train our models. Um, But so that's that's the one limitation uh, that uh, that we have compared to you know uh, uh, researchers who or or colleagues who uh, uh, look at uh, like I said for instance you know recommendation systems for. you know, Netflix or Amazon, where you're using why Medium. On,
1: if you took out the person's name and everything, why couldn't you get, you know, recorded interviews of a whole bunch of people?
2: Why yeah, is that um, so it's, well, one problem is that um, voice is uh, considered to be um, um, identifiable, right? And um, and the transcribed voice uh, you can use, but still you have to be, you know, extra careful uh, to make sure that there are no identifiable, uh, uh, there is no identifiable text, that someone doesn't say, you know, their address and, and social security number. So, uh, you know, there are all these this, uh, uh, hoops that we have to jump through uh, to avoid, you know, potentially, you know, leaking uh, information that, that uh, no one has consented. Plus, Everything we do, we do with with consent. So all, you know, all our, our data, the data that that we analyze, has been collected with specific consent, following protocols, you no know, clinical right. protocols, right? So that it's you know part of the limitation.
1: Right. Well, very good. I mean, Yemo, it's a great project. It sounds like uh, you know it's going to be super useful once well, you get it to up. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What What's the best way that people can find out more? Maybe even uh, I don't know, volunteer their data
2: somehow. Yeah, uh, in you know, if you look uh, my name uh, on you know, the web, you will find it. You know, my type my name, IBM. You know, we'll see my uh, my webpage, and uh, there is a lot of information there.
1: Okay, well, excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming. Hopefully, uh, the interview wasn't a flight
2: of questions with a a poverty of speech on my end. I tried. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, I really am very passionate about this. Uh, So, you know, I, I love talking about it. That's great.
0: You've been listening to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.